You know, I was here at the very first NextWeb event, and I gave a talk 12 years ago about the coming internet economy. And now, 12 years later, I'm here again, and it's a real delight to talk about what comes after the web. Because I really do think there is something big coming after the web. So what is this next web? And I want to take the, the few minutes this afternoon to kind of give you a vision of where I think we're going. So it doesn't really have a name. A lot of people in the VC world are calling it the AR cloud. Some people call it the V cloud, the VMAP. And because there isn't a really good name, I am going to use it in this uh, talk, I'm going to call it the mesh, just because I can, all right? <laughs> so some people call it the metaverse. There are a lot of words that describe it. None of them are really very accurate. And I want to kind of give you a vision of what it is. So I'm making up this word, the mesh. And what is the mesh? Well, in, on, there's two sides of it. It's hardware and software. And on the hardware side, it's a kind of a new hardware platform. And let me very briefly give you a kind of an update of where we are in terms of hardware. So for several decades, from the 1950s almost through the 80s, computers were things that stood by themselves. They were unconnected. They were often very big, requiring a lot of maintenance and upkeep and knowledge. Um, but they were standalone, and they didn't actually have that much effect on our lives. The second generation of them came from the 80s to about now, and that's when we connected computers together. We married computers and the telephone, and everything that we're kind of excited by, the whole subject and terrain that this conference is about is all occurred because we took computers and made them into communication devices. And that's where we are today. But in the last couple of years, in the next 20 years, I think we're going to see the third phase of computational hardware. And that's what I would call the immersive version. And that is computers are no longer standalone devices, are no longer just connected. They're actually pervasive, and we're inside them. They are around us. The computation happens completely surrounding us, and we are sort of living inside the machine. Okay. And this immersive aspect of them is this vision of a world where everything is connected and operating and computing and thinking, sometimes called the Internet of Things. But I want to stress how much more bigger it is than just that. And so this world is sometimes called the cloud, this computational platform, sometimes called the cloud, the, inter the cloud of all the clouds. It's sometimes thought of as the Internet of Things, and that certainly includes that, the idea of connecting everything we make from our shoes to our clothes to the seats that you're sitting in to every light bulb. That's certainly part of it. And in fact, if you take all the chips, all the transistors and everything that we make, and you connect them together, which is what we're doing, you have all the chips in the world connected together, it actually operates as if it was a new virtual machine that is very, very large. It's actually the size of the planet. So 
that is the platform that this is operating on now, where it's a global machine, the size of the planet. We're inside it, we're living in it. There are trillions upon trillions of transistors, storage space, RAM. It's a very big machine and our most dependable machine that we've ever made. And I think in the next 10 years or less, we're going to see for the first time this machine allowing a million people to work together in real time on a project. We have a million people like in Wikipedia working on a project, but that's not in real time. I'm talking about the collaboration of a million people in real time making something together around the world using this machine that we've made as the platform. So that's the hardware. And then there's the software side of this where we're going. And the software side also has three stages. Okay, one, two, three different errors, and we are about to enter into the third error. Okay, and then the first error was the moment when we took all the documents, all the information of the world, and we hyperlinked it together. We connected one thing to each other things into a web of information, and that network of documents where we hyperlinked the information is called the web. And that was, of course, again, the genesis of the reason why we're meeting here now is because this was a really big thing. And what it, the reason why it was big is because it made information machine readable. It wasn't just that humans had the ability to find anything. It was that we could use algorithms, like the last speaker talked about, we could use algorithms to manipulate it and make new things that we could never make before to understand and bring meaning to it in a way that we could never do before because now we could have machines search for things, we could have machines parse it, we could have machines do all kinds of things to it. And in this new world, this new platform, this new OS, um, Google was the gatekeeper. Google became the dominant company overseeing this and of course they became one of the most powerful entities on the planet in many ways. The second phase the second network that we made is that we took all humans and we hyperlinked them all together, okay? We took all their behavior and we linked it together and that's what we call the social graph and that's the social media. And what that did is it, uh, it made human behavior machine readable, okay, for better and worse. And we're living with some of the consequences right now of the fact that our human behavior and our interests and our, our uh, occupations are all now hyperlinked and machine readable. We can use algorithms to manage, manipulate, and make new things. And Facebook and WeChat are the kind of gatekeepers of that OS, that world, and they are some of the most powerful entities on the planet. We're now in the dawn of a third new network. And that is the network of the rest of the world, of the built world, the made world, the world of the, that we have constructed around us, this world here that we're sitting in. And so what we're gonna do is we're going to hyperlink all the things and the places in the world. We're gonna, we're gonna connect them up in the ways that we first did with information and then we did with humans and now we're gonna do it with everything else. 
And I call that hyperlink thing the mesh. Okay, that's this mesh. And it includes my shoes and includes documents and it includes people, but it also includes buildings and it includes objects and it includes places. Okay, and the thing about this is just as the first platform made information machine readable and the second platform made human behavior machine readable, this is gonna make the world machine readable, okay? That is a big thing where we can suddenly parse the entire world. We can suddenly um, manipulate algorithmically, predict, and do all the other things we can once something is machine readable. So whoever is the gatekeeper of that is also going to be in a huge position. And that's where the race is right now. In the next 10 years is many, many companies, of course all the existing big companies like Google, Facebook, Microsoft, WeChat are all racing towards this, but it's most likely gonna be none of them, but somebody else who is outside. That's the general pattern, but somebody will come to dominate this new platform. Now, again, what is this mesh? What does it look like? And I'm gonna spend the remaining few minutes I have to talk about some of the characteristics I think this new platform will have. The thing about this world is that it's an extension or the, 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 one of the main avenues we'll enter into it is with wearable technology that's very similar to virtual reality. It's called augmented reality, AR, or sometimes MR, mixed reality. There's two kinds of technologies today. There's the one where you put the goggles on and you see nothing but the new alternative synthetic world. And then there's another type where you wear clear glasses and you can see the real world and mixed in with that is the presence of virtual things. And that mixture is what we're going to talk about, that presence of the mixed reality versus the immersion of the VR. And in VR will be part of this. It's just a subset of a much larger thing that I'm calling the mesh. So just remember that it's included VR in this world. So even the synthetic worlds that we build are also part of this world that's being machine readable. So mixed reality is much more difficult to do than the virtual reality, but if you can do mixed reality, you can do virtual. And mixed reality is the technology that places like Magic Leap is offering, where again, you could see something virtual in a real world. And the technology is working kind of okay. It's more likely that most people in this room will encounter VR or this virtuality in a mixed reality setting first. And that's because you can do things like manipulate a product in real time. It's really good for learning because people who learn with their hands and are kinetic and not so well learning from books can learn how to take apart a heart or the solar system because it's very, very, very kinetic. And it's really great for the future of the office. Microsoft believes that all offices of the future will just be, you put on your glasses and you can have as many screens as you want. I've used it, it's very, very easy to use. And that really solves a lot of the problems about having to commute. So that is certainly part of this world. But the other part is that 
Everything is being scanned. Entire buildings are being scanned. And they will become part of this scanned, hyperlinked world. Okay? And so um, you'll be able to actually, like in the Google Street View, actually walk across the country starting at one end to the other in this virtual world, which is produced at a one-to-one -one scale. So the thing about it is, is that it's, it's at the same scale as our own lives. It's in a curious way, it's a virtual map that's at the one-to-one -one scale. It's, 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 a, it's a map that's actually bigger than its territory. Okay, so this idea of having a virtual world that you can walk across and see in a VR um, will include things like buildings that will be digitized for many reasons, and um, they will also have digital twins. So there's a program at GE that is trying to um, make a digital version of a jet engine that's a mirror of the jet engine itself so they can actually simulate it and use it to help repair and um, design it because there is a digital twin that's actually linked to the performance of the jet engine itself. And they can do things with digital twins of entire ships or planes. And so there is a sense in which everything has a digital twin version in this mirrored mesh world. And some of that is a vision of a Japanese researcher who kind of imagined what it would look like with the overlay in the mixed reality world where you're seeing this virtual version where everything is connected and it has information. Um, it's including the information that we have on the web, but you can go deeper, you could move things around. So you're navigating through this alternative world that's overlaid or embedded into the real world using this um, AR technology. So this, in some ways, this depiction is maybe our worst nightmare. It's only one vision of what it could look like, but it gives you a sense of what you could do when everything is incorporated and digitized and machine-readable in this world. Okay. So um, I want to, then to go through the other qualities that this world is going to have. Um, the first thing, of course, is that it has to be three-dimensional. So there's a volumetric capture. We'll have many ways to capture a person who's, like me, giving a talk in real volume so that every aspect of me from head to toe, every angle is being captured. That's a new technology, and that's one aspect of this mesh world is that things are in three-dimensional volumes. In every, so, so every position you want to look at it is being captured. That's one attribute. The second attribute is that this world is shared. Everything in it is shared, that if there is a 3D version of something, you can, more than one person can look at it at the same time, and if whatever change is made there, everyone else sees that change. So there is a sense in which this world is being shared. That's a very, very important aspect of it, because a lot of the VR and AR worlds today are not shared. They're proprietary, they're closed, 
their toy sandboxes. So part of this vision is you have a protocol that allows anything in the world to be shared by everything in that world. The second thing is that there's a persistence to these things. If you have a chair, it's always going to be there. It's going to be stayed in the same spot. Someone else encountering it will find it in the same area. So things are able to persist even when the viewer looks away. And that persistence is also a system-wide character, not just about a particular network or device. So this idea of having persistent objects is very, very important. And the important, other important thing is that this is accessible from any device. You don't need a pair of wearable glasses. You could use an iPad to look at it. You could use a phone. You could use virtual reality itself where you're closed off and it's a virtual world. You could be, your Fitbit is touching this world. And most importantly, this is the world that robots and self-driving cars will use. This is the world that they will see as they go along. So this is a world that allows the machines to navigate in this world. And it's mirrored, as I say, everything has, every object, every building, every place has a twin in this world. It's in real time, meaning that it's adjusted and is updated and it changes in tune with how the real world changes. Um, it's kinetic in the sense that you can actually interact with it. It's not just static. It actually has physics. It has other attributes that will change depending on how you use them. And it's local, so that even inside your house, objects and furnitures in your home would also have that same presence. This is a Google um, device and program that will allow you to imagine a, a new chair in your living room um, and you can try it out until so everything in your living room has a part in this place. And of course, it's semantic meaning that everything is nested in relation to other things. A window is not just part of a building, it's a thing itself and part of the building. So this idea of having relational um, attributes is something that has to be maintained in the system. It includes the web, it includes everything that's already been digitized in information. And there's an API, meaning that the public can interact with it. Um, it's continuous, meaning that like cell phone towers, as you walk from one place to another, you're handed off so that you feel as if there's just one large world. And it makes the entire world decentralized if possible. This is not inevitable. This is a choice we have. Hopefully, this is a decentralized system, much like the web is. It makes everything machine readable. And again, when a self-driving car is going down the road, this is the world that it sees in order to navigate. And of course, every object that we make is gonna be part of it. We think of that as the Internet of Things, but I wanted to stress that the Internet of Things is just a tiny, tiny part of this larger mesh. And of all the things that I have encountered in this world so far, for me, the most compelling content is always having other people in this world. And so there will be real people with their avatars present in this world. And again, they may be sitting in a kind of a real um, chair, but they'll be virtual. And it's very, very powerful to see how that presence is not the same as on a screen. It's a much deeper felt presence that's very, very powerful. And so because of that, I think that the mesh will become the most social of all the social media.
It's a global platform. It's going to reach the entire globe. And some of the biggest data that we've ever seen will be generated by tracking people in this world. And so far, the biggest data companies have become the biggest companies in the world so to suggest, again, that the people who own and, and uh, in some ways maintain the gate to this world are gonna be very, very powerful. It's also an internet of experiences rather than information, and so experiences become the new currency. And lastly, just to point out the theme of this track, AI is electricity that generates this whole thing. None of this is really possible without AI because you need artificial intelligence in order to be able to parse all these things in order for it to run. This mesh does not run without AI. There are going to be a thousand new scary problems brought up by this. Issues of privacy, issues of control, issues of bias and algorithms, and many, many more that we haven't thought of. But there will also be a million new opportunities. And I think, I hope it gave you a little bit of picture of where I think we're going in the next stage of the web. So thank you. I appreciate your attention. Kevin Kelly.